Welcome to the Salty and Bright podcast, a show about how we can better live as God's salt and light today. Today, I'm excited to have Rosie Atchley joining me on the podcast. I am Rosie Atchley, and I'm still getting used to my last name because I was married just a year ago. Rosie was born and raised by Christian parents in Gympie, southeast Queensland, as the youngest of four kids. After completing her undergrad degree in public relations and journalism, Rosie relocated to Canberra to work in the government sector. But in 2017, Rosie moved to Tauranga, New Zealand, to become Operations Director of the South Pacific Bible College, or SPBC for short. Rosie is married to Jonathan, a lecturer at SPBC, and together they worship and serve at the Otumotai Church of Christ. Now I knew Rosie was a deep thinker, but she really brings it up a level in today's conversation about building a firm spiritual foundation. So let's dive right in. So to start off our conversation, Rosie, about the theme of building a firm spiritual foundation, I was wondering if you could share a bit about your story of how you came to Christ and how you came to know his church as well. Sure. For me, my introduction to Christ was growing up in a Christian home. So my parents, early in their marriage, I would guess that they would be nominal Christians. So they had a a nominal faith in God, but whether that permeated through their whole life, um, perhaps not. But that changed when they lost their first child, um, my eldest brother, to sudden infant death syndrome. And that experience just really compelled them to seek answers about the big questions of life. You know, what happens when you die? Where do we come from? Where are we going? So they they went on a journey to try and answer that. And and we're having conversations and studies with different people and different churches, which ultimately led them to becoming members um, at the Gympie Church of Christ. And I think what stood out to them in their early experience was when they had questions, those questions were answered from scripture. There was a big emphasis on, well, great question. What does scripture say about that? So fast track a few years and I was born on a Monday and I was in church on the Sunday. So <laughs> that was my, my very earliest uh, beginnings in coming to know Christ. We were a small church in Gympie um, with just kind of two main families, my own family and one other main bigger family, also four kids who incidentally um, were my cousins. <laughs> so um, and then, you know, there were some other singles and couples and some who came and went. So in some ways, we were a little bit isolated as a small congregation, but we had relationships with some of the larger churches nearby in Brisbane and Toowoomba. We had the Harding students. Um, they would come through on campaigns. They did that a couple of years in a, in a row when I was, I'm going to guess, late primary school. So we were a small group, but also we were part of this big family of God throughout Australia and the world. That congregation gave me a great respect for God's word and its authority and its trustworthiness. And I think that as a, 
as a concept has really stuck with me throughout my Christian life. In terms of when I kind of came out from under, you know, I'm a child of Christian parents, but when did I build my own relationship with Christ? Um, I was pretty young. I was I was actually one of the kids who escaped that pressure. I think some kids in Christian families get to a certain age, maybe they're late teens, and there's a bit of like, so any time now. Um, I got the jump on all of that, 11 years old, no one was asking me. And so I never felt like, did I make this decision for anyone else? I knew it was a decision for me. But I was... Of course, I was very immature in my faith, and I think that's natural. I'm, I have no shame about that because we're talking about an 11-year-old. I do remember thinking around that time, like, I've got it. You know, I've arrived. I know what I need to do to be saved. I know what you're supposed to do in Sunday worship. I know the fruit of the Spirit and how to live your life. So here I am. No further growth necessary. <laughs> and, of course, God has been doing his sanctifying work in my life since that point and maybe called some of that into question since. Um, but that was, how, that was how I first started. That's how I came to know him. I think you did a great job, Rosie, of kind of summing up your, your whole story. But one thing I did want to ask more about was what you said of being an 11-year-old who decided to get baptised. And I was wondering what kind of made you see yourself as immature, you know, looking back at your 11-year-old self. Was it because you didn't see the need for growth or what exactly was it? Um, I think it comes with the territory. I, I think that sometimes we, we see immaturity as inherently negative but sometimes it is age appropriate and it is a, a place we have to pass through. We have just planted out a veggie garden and sometimes when you read blogs about how to care for your plants, you will hear about an immature plant before it matures or before, before it produces fruit. And no one judges that plant. Everyone recognises that you start as a seedling and you grow. The goal is that you will become a tomato plant covered in red juicy fruit but it has to go through being a seedling and flowering first before the fruit ever appears so i see it more as you can't leap to maturity and god is gracious with us on the journey i think that's really interesting i think i was maybe a bit in the middle because I got baptized when I was 17, but I didn't really feel pressured. Uh, well, there were always those people at church who would nudge you a bit and say, oh, you know, when's it going to happen? Or are you thinking about being baptized or that kind of thing? And I think I'm thankful I didn't get baptized because of that pressure. It was really just kind of a spontaneous thing because I just came home one day and was sitting on the couch with my mum and just told her that I wanted to be baptised. So I was also wanting to ask Rosie whether there was 
anything in particular that led you to make that decision when you were 11? Was it kind of a series of things or one particular event? Not a particular event. I'm trying to cast my mind back and I don't know if I can even remember clearly. I I remember talking to mum and saying, I'm thinking about getting baptised. She wasn't rushing me, but and she wasn't saying, no, you're too young. She just was like, okay, well, thanks for sharing. And, yeah, it wasn't long afterwards that I said, all right, I want to. A little bit similar to you. Like, I, there's no reason not to. I believe everything that you've been teaching me at church. <laughs> and let's do it. I think another question I wanted to ask you, Rosie, is because you grew up in a Christian home and like you were saying, your parents started out as maybe not being firmly rooted in their faith, but then that all changed. How did you actually go about building your own personal foundation, even as an 11-year-old? I don't know, is my honest answer. What I do know is that there was a moment in my life or a season in my life where suddenly I was confronted a little bit more by my independence as a Christian. I was baptised at 11. I lived in my parents' home until I was 18 and then I moved to university and I deliberately went to a university that was geographically close to a church that I knew well and I share housed with um, some Christian girlfriends who actually were from the same hometown. Then when I finished uni, I moved to Canberra and I had met one family from Canberra once ever. So there there weren't pre-established connections and relationships with that congregation per se. I was in a share house with, not with any Christians. I was in a very secular workplace and I had this anonymity as far as the church went. Like if I didn't show up, no one would have missed me, at least when I arrived. And even down to the the work of the household. So, okay, there's a church luncheon oh, mum's making something, oh, I feel like we, the household, have contributed or, you know, us as girlfriends had someone over from church and we had done something in terms of fellowship and then there I was and a luncheon was coming up and it was me. I don't get to ride on anyone else's coattails. Am I investing in this community? Am I reaching out? With my anonymity, am I actually going to make myself known and pursue this, not because it's the community I'm already established in, but because that is important and I am here as a Christian, a follower of Christ, and that follows me, uh, that identity follows me wherever I go. So do you think that you had to move out of home and kind of strike out on your own a bit? I don't, I don't know. You know, I've lived in five different cities in two different countries and had a little 
three-month stint living in the U.S. on top of that. And I feel like that has grown me as a person in lots of ways, spiritual and otherwise. And I can perhaps look at people who have remained in my hometown or even at their mum and dad's house, say, and have a view about that. But actually they, they're having experiences as well that may well grow them. So I think in a sense God will meet us where we are, although I think there is growth in challenges, whatever they are. And in my situation, that first big move away from the communities I knew was one of those moments of challenge that promoted growth. I think there's a lot of interesting things to unpack just in that, but I was also wondering, Rosie, about you moving out and making that transition, I guess, to independent uni life. And you mentioned that you initially moved out with a group of Christian girlfriends, and then once you moved to Canberra, you stayed in a house with non-Christians. And so I was wondering if that was a conscious decision or was it something that kind of just happened? It was definitely a deliberate decision to move to Toowoomba rather than Brisbane to do my uni study. I had options to go to universities in both cities, but I knew Christians and I knew the church in Toowoomba. There are wonderful Christians and churches in Brisbane as well, but the geography of the city means that Maybe you can still feel isolated, whereas I lived less than five minutes from the church building and several church members in Toowoomba. So that was a very deliberate decision to go to Toowoomba to study uh, because the church was there. For the first year and a half of my study, myself and my best friend lived on campus She and I had met in high school and she had come to become a Christian um, through me. So she and I lived on campus in the same block. And then as we grew, I suppose, in our independence as adults, I approached my, my cousin. So she was one of the cousins, you know, who I grew up with. And she happened to be living in a three-bedroom house on her own. And so I approached her. And she was very gracious because, I mean, we were 19 or 20-year-olds and she was a few years ahead of us. She was a working professional by that point. She'd happily lived on her own with her own space. So I think it was very gracious of her to say yes. But as it happened, when I moved out, my friend stayed there for another seven years So I think it turned out to be a good move for her in the end. So it sounds like, Rosie, you were really surrounding yourself with Christians, you know, in that share house and then also once you moved to Canberra. So could you talk a bit more about that, Rosie, about the role of Christian community for your faith? Yeah, yeah. You know, Christ did his work. He's it. He's already the foundation. It's it's not my behaviour. It's not a spiritual practice that I do. Um, it's not even my Christian community. It is Christ. But those other things that we do or the other things we experience are the structure on top of that foundation. 
And that I feel is where I then live into what are helpful things to make sure I'm firm on the foundation. And yeah, Christian community definitely I think is huge for so many reasons. One is God's plan was always for the collective, you know, he always had a people in the Old Testament and he made a promise to Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So then that's where Jesus comes and fulfills that promise and we get to be a part of that. So if we're trying to live on Christ as our foundation but completely missing the point that Christ established a kingdom, a people to be a part of, then we're going to be really lost. But there's just the... I have such limits of my own mind and my own experience um, and my own willpower. And so that is where I can, in a very practical sense, lean on other people. You know, I can I can be the one to encourage others when I feel strong or when my experience lends itself to providing maybe wisdom for a situation. And then I will be the one who needs to lean on other people at times as well. I mean, I really wrestled with what is the nature of the structure? Like, is the structure as important as the foundation when we talk in terms of that metaphor? And I I think once we decide we're going to build on the firm foundation, then our job is, our response to Christ is figuring out how to build that. I actually went back to some, I went back to some scriptures about this, you know, Peter said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, yep. And on that truth, the kingdom is established. Paul told the Corinthians, go back to what was of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and raised on the third day. There's that real foundational stuff. And then what does that mean for my life? What's the nitty-gritty of loving God and loving my neighbour? Well, we're building now. We're building. That's great. I, I, I've I, never thought of it like that, that distinction between, you know, having Jesus as the foundation and then building on top of that. I can, I can tell you where that kind of came from. It actually it came from your question, which was from your perspective what comprises a spiritual foundation. So I, I kind of got to this point where there's a long there's a long answer. Do you just want the whole bit? Oh yes, please. All right. It's coming for you. So my view of the foundation has grown and evolved over time, but I don't think the foundation itself or himself has changed. I mentioned earlier that my earliest Christian experiences were very emphatic about the authority and trustworthiness of scripture. Not just that, but the sure and absolute conclusions we can draw if we just rightly interpret scripture. Um, And so I think that is what led to my total confidence in my complete knowledge, you know, as a young Christian, that sense of arrival that I talked about. And so my concept of foundation at that time probably was a correct set of beliefs about God drawn from a correct reading of scripture. So then as time goes on, 
and I go to maybe some different congregations or start moving outside of that smaller Christian environment, I start to encounter different viewpoints. And that was very confronting uh, because two people can look at scripture, both sincere, both intelligent, both genuinely willing to submit to God and ultimately reach different conclusions. That just blew my certainty out of the water. What is my foundation? What is certain? I was doing a bit of everything, crying and praying and reading, and and I had Psalm 119 in front of me, and it says, teach me, Lord, to follow your laws, and I will follow them to the end. Give me your understanding, and I'll keep your law. And I felt like my understanding had just gone. So you can imagine how unsettling that was for my faith when I thought the foundation was just all the right conclusions and maintain. And I guess where I got to was a realisation that if I'm expecting to grow and mature in my faith and understanding in the future, I have to concede that I actually haven't arrived. Ephesians 4 talks about, you know, growing up to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm not there So that growing and maturing has to happen, which means I don't have it all. That doesn't mean shying away from drawing conclusions and living confidently into those, but I have learned to regard those with a bit more humility and to hold them less tightly and to be willing to re-examine those things. And it it did require a a re look at my foundation yeah it got big I tell you when I started looking at your questions I was like this is huge faith (laughs) (laughs) well I'm glad um but on a more serious note Rosie what struck me about what you said was that contrast between having a shaky foundation or something shaky as your foundation and then you know, realizing that Jesus is the only real firm foundation. I think in my Christian walk, it's definitely been a constant challenge. You know, I'm either making my academic results or my ability to get a job or something like that, my foundation. And so I think what you said really resonates with me because I can see it in my own life. And I think they're good things. Like in my experience when I've seen people um, maybe turn away from God, I have thought about their foundation in a sense, even if I've not always used that metaphor or that terminology. But, you know, I see perhaps that they've been hurt by other Christians or I see people whose life purportedly is still that of a Christian and yet for all their Bible knowledge I'm not seeing the fruit of the spirit present in their lives and it made me realize that those good things if they get out of whack can make that structure pretty wonky so relationships with people in the church I've already said how I value that community but if someone treats me bad 
Christ still died for me. And that, that terrible experience with a church that some people have had, I pray that I will, well, never be in that situation, but that if I were, I could separate those things and remember that my foundation is not how well Christians treat me, but what Christ has done. I think that we just need to make sure that we're not letting good things become the thing upon which our life and faith is built. Well, Rosie, I think we can move on to my last question, which is, do you have any advice you'd want to share, particularly to younger Christians who are really looking to set up their own firm spiritual foundation? By the way, you got me because I was like, but, you know, I'm surrounded with kind of, I see them as spiritual giants. Uh, as you know, I work at a Bible college, so my colleagues have all been They've all got degrees in theology and have been studying and teaching and living their life in Christ for years and years. So I was like, I am the younger Christian almost always. But I remembered I've actually been a Christian for 22 years, so maybe I've got something to say. Um, Don't do the maths. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's an aside. I, I think my encouragement would be, the same as what I said before, you actually can't build your own spiritual foundation. Christ has done it. So instead, cultivate that humility in your life that is responding to what Christ has already done and choose him as your foundation. I think from a a practical standpoint, it's what I said before about just being a little bit cautious of the good things. The reason this maybe resonated with me is I recently came across Augustine's idea of disordered love. So he kind of says, if we love things out of order, it's not how it should be. So if I love my spouse more than God, I won't be able to love my spouse as well as if I love God more than my spouse. Loving God will help me be the person and help me encourage them to be the person that they need to more so than if I get that out of order. I think as well, this was my last point on that was just asking for God's help. You know, sometimes me and my brain arrive at the word or arrive at my life and say, okay, I've got to do some good thinking about this and, and make sure that I, I reach good conclusions And so setting aside my own uh, intelligence as the key thing for a while and just saying, God, just help me put aside anything that is in me, whether it's a preconceived idea or pride or an impatience to know it and know it right now. Help me to see what I need to see. That's such a different posture um so I think be be cautious of the good and focus on Christ and make your life a response to him and recognize his work of grace in your life. Well, Rosie, that probably wraps up our 
kind of official conversation, but I did have a bit of a surprise for you. So would you be willing and ready to do a kind of rapid round of five questions? I'm willing. I'll never be ready. So just go. (laughs) (laughs) So the first one, Rosie, is what is your favorite Bible verse and why? Oh, my goodness. I love Ephesians 4 um, the whole lot uh, because it's just this picture of Christ's victory march after he conquered death. And then it tells us some really practical things about what that means in our church setup and in the whole vision of being built up in unity, in a perfect knowledge, in maturity. Might not even have got that right as I quoted it, but just very um, big and inspiring ideas, but very practical as well. So the second question is, who is your Bible hero and why? I mean, straight away, the Apostle Paul comes to mind. I mean, there is a man who let Jesus just transform his life and turn it around and then who lived that out no matter the cost. And how rich are we for everything that he wrote to those early Christians? All right. So the third question is, when or where do you feel closest to God? Nature is definitely a big one. I mean, it's very easy for me to be able to see his might and his power in the things that he created. But doesn't he also reveal himself in amazing places? I'll just tell you this. I was at an AA meeting this week, first time in my life, because I was challenged to go to one to learn more about addiction and how to serve people who were suffering. And I just was really struck with respect for people who had made an effort to make a change in their life and compassion for people who really were struggling with something. And I just kept thinking about God's redemption and how each one of us are uh, perhaps not addicts and slaves to substances, but slaves to sin. And we are the people in need of that healing. We are the people who need compassion and need to express that compassion to others. And would you know it, I was, I was there at that meeting and just praying and thanking God for his mercy. Um, so expect to be surprised by God. So the fourth question, Rosie, is what is an ordinary moment that fills you with gratitude? I like being at home with my husband and my cat. Usually John might be on the computer playing a game and I'll curl up on the couch either with a book or with the TV on. Our little cat will jump up on the couch with me and it's just, it's peaceful and it's a blessing. So final question is, what is one lesson that you think God is still trying to teach you? Um, Generosity and his provision has been a big one, a big theme in my life for the last few years and being being an outpouring of his love and his resources, trusting that, you know, when he brings you to a challenge, he will also be with you and give you what you need. 
to work through that. Even if you don't know everything about it, which I always want to know about everything, everything about everything. So just operate with trust in him rather than needing to know it all. Well, thank you for sharing that, Rosie. And I think that's a good note to end on, you know, the fact that we're all still works in progress. So in that case, I think we'll wrap it up there, Rosie, because I don't want to take up any more of your time. But thank you so much for chatting to me today. And likewise, thank you for the opportunity. And I hope that it's useful and, and a blessing to others. So I won't say I told you so, but Rosie definitely shared a lot of wisdom with us. So much that you might have to hit replay a few more times. But thank you for tuning in to episode two of this series on building a firm spiritual foundation. You can send any feedback to saltyandbrightpod at gmail.com and make sure to keep an eye out for episode three coming soon. But until then, stay salty and bright.